Hello there. I'm Los the Artist. Welcome to another episode. Miguel was just an average guy with an ordinary job. One night an accident would change his life forever and send him on a journey of anger and vengeance. Little did he know there would also be a journey of discovery and violence. Tonight's episode is called Amped. Miguel went to work that day like it was any other. His weekly routine seldom varied and his job wasn't excessively exciting, but he enjoyed it. He'd been a grocery store meat cutter for a few years and it paid the bills. On that particular day, he had been scheduled on the closing shift, his least favorite part of the job. As the day went on, Miguel grew anxious for his work day to end, as he had a four-day weekend coming up. He never really did much in his personal life, so he was looking forward to the time off, as he actually had plans for a change. Finally, his shift ended and he gathered his things from the break room to go home. Miguel rode a motorcycle for his main transportation. Since he was single and lived alone, it was the most economical way for him to get around. Because of his appearance, people kind of expected him to ride one as well. He packed up his stuff into his saddlebags and put on his helmet and started to head home. It was late and dark and it had been lightly raining off and on throughout the day. Miguel wasn't very far from his work when he came to an intersection. As he approached the intersection, a car approached from the opposite direction and stopped in the left turn lane. The light was green for both of them, and Miguel approached the intersection to cross. He was riding off to the left side of his lane to avoid any oil slicks that may be present in the middle of the road from the rain. And as he reached the middle of the intersection, he was horrified when the car slowly began to move forward. As the car did, its driver wasn't paying attention, and the car drifted left. The car's driver's side fender poked into Miguel's lane, directly in his path. Miguel barely had time to react at all, but managed to swerve a little to the right. As he did, however, he felt an impact with the car's fender and the side of his bike. The impact caused his rear tire to fishtail, and as Miguel attempted to correct, his front tire hit some wet pavement, and his handlebars began to shake uncontrollably. Miguel knew he was going down. Luckily, because it was late, there wasn't much traffic approaching. Miguel glanced at the sidewalk for pedestrians and made the decision to bail off the out-of-control bike as he feared he would go tumbling rather than lay down. He pushed off the handlebars, letting the bike go out from under him. Miguel hit the pavement at about 35 miles per hour and tumbled several feet past the intersection. His bike tumbled as well, and he saw it when he hit the curb and stopped. Miguel laid in the middle of the street on his back, he raised his head up just enough to see the car he had collided with make its turn in the intersection and drive away. Miguel put his head down and just laid face up in the street in shock from what had just happened. Moments later, two more cars approached and stopped when they saw him in the road. The people from the cars checked on Miguel and called authorities. Miguel started to stir, but the people that stopped advised him to try not to move until the ambulance arrived. 
A few minutes later, a police car and an ambulance pulled up. EMTs began to work on Miguel and the police officer spoke to the Good Samaritans. Miguel couldn't hear what they were saying because the EMTs were asking him questions. They asked if he knew what his name was and where he was. They asked him what year it was, where he was coming from, and where he was going. He successfully answered the questions which allowed the EMTs to determine that he was coherent. As they worked to place a neck stabilizer on him, the police officer asked Miguel a few questions. He asked Miguel if he could describe what happened, and he did. He asked Miguel if he could describe the car. Miguel wasn't sure of the exact make or model, as it was dark and it all happened so quickly. But he remembered that it was a red car with very distinguishable headlight configuration. The officer stated that one of the Good Samaritans had told him that they had also thought they had seen a red car drive off, but they were too far from the intersection to offer any detailed witness statements or a license plate number. The officer continued to ask questions as the EMTs began strapping Miguel to an immobilization board. Miguel was able to get his wallet and phone from his pocket and give it to the officer. He could feel his left foot throb. He hadn't noticed it until then, but it stung like someone was stabbing him repeatedly with hot needles that were hooked up to a car battery. The EMTs loaded Miguel into the ambulance and the officer told them he would meet them at the hospital. Luckily, there was a hospital just a few miles away, so the ride wasn't very long. Miguel's foot was now throbbing severely and it felt wet. The ambulance docked in the trauma side of the emergency room when they arrived at the hospital, and the staff rushed to get Miguel inside and stabilized. Not long after that, he passed out. A few hours later, Miguel awoke to find himself still in the trauma triage center of the hospital. One of the nurses noticed him stirring and approached him. She explained that he had been taken for x-rays and CT scans and they were waiting for an orthopedic surgeon to arrive and take him into the operating room. The pain from Miguel's foot was almost unbearable now. He noticed he was no longer wearing the neck stabilizer, so he tried to lift his head to take a first look at his foot. His foot was an unrecognizable mess of mangled flesh, bone, and blood. His eyes grew wide at the sight, and the nurse took note. She called one of the doctors over. The ER doctor explained to Miguel that his foot must have been initially crushed between the bike and the car. After he hit the pavement, it became worse when his boot was torn off. It was most likely that the orthopedic surgeon they were waiting on was going to have to amputate it. Still, several hours later, the orthopedic surgeon finally arrived and Miguel was prepped for surgery. The surgeon explained to him what was going to happen. He was going to attempt to save Miguel's foot. He was going to reconstruct the bones and attempt to stitch the soft tissue. Miguel was going to be hooked up to a wound back for a few days, after which they could evaluate the healing of the soft tissue and go from there. Miguel felt somewhat comforted and optimistic and agreed. A short time later, he was wheeled into the operating room. It was the first time he had been in one. It was incredibly bright and cold and there were a lot of hospital staff scurrying around. A woman introduced herself as the anesthesiologist and explained how she would be there monitoring him the entire time. She put a mask over his face and Miguel faded to sleep. 
About six hours later, Miguel awoke. This time he was in a room he didn't recognize. He looked around the room, still groggy. There were other patients lying in beds around him. Some were sleeping. He realized that it must be the recovery room. A nurse approached him and said good morning. She handed him a cup of ice chips and told him that he could have as many of them as he liked. She told him that now that he was awake, a doctor would be in soon and he would be moved to his room. A short time later, a new doctor approached Miguel and introduced herself as the trauma consultant. She had the police officer with her who had responded to the accident. She said she would be watching over him to assist the orthopedist in evaluating his healing. She explained that he'd be staying in the room in the trauma ward for now. As she was saying this, two CNAs approached and the doctor explained that they were here to move him to his room. The officer gave Miguel his phone and wallet and told them that they were still attempting to identify the vehicle that hit him. Over the next few days, Miguel was wheeled back and forth through the corridors of the hospital for various scans and imaging. His blood was drawn twice a day for testing and the entire time the wound back was attached to his foot draining the seepage. He was given a blood transfusion after he was told there was concern about blood levels and readings. On the fourth day, the orthopedist surprised Miguel when he showed up. Unfortunately, he didn't have good news. He explained to Miguel that the soft tissue was not healing properly and he would need to undergo a left below knee amputation. Miguel felt indifferent about the news. A few days later, Miguel found himself back in the same operating room. The orthopedist was already there when they wheeled him in. The anesthesiologist got right to work and soon Miguel was asleep. About four hours later, Miguel woke in the same recovery room. Again, he was handed a cup of ice chips. The orthopedist came in and approached Miguel and showed him his phone. A video of a stout young man doing a cartwheel into a back handspring played on the orthopedist's phone. The young man was wearing a leg prosthesis below his knee. The orthopedist assured Miguel that they would get him a prosthesis and he could get back to a normal life with no problems. A few days later, Miguel was released from the hospital. Because he lived alone and had no one to help him out, he was transferred to an inpatient rehab facility where he began the grueling process of transitioning to his new way of life. His stitches were taken out a few weeks later and he was fitted for a prosthetic device. After spending a month in the inpatient facility, Miguel was finally released to go home with his new prosthetic foot and a walker. He immediately began putting himself through his own personal hell, trying to get his strength back. His short-term disability insurance through his employer was only good for 90 days, so he didn't have long before he had to get back to work. He had bills to pay. He had gotten a settlement from his motorcycle insurance for the accident and decided to buy a car, since he would have to relearn how to ride due to the loss of his shifting foot. He attended physical therapy for a short time, but found that it wasn't working fast enough. 
so he quit and began working out on his own. As he reached his return to work date, the orthopedist signed off that he could return to full work duty with no restrictions. Exactly three months after his accident, Miguel returned to work. Miguel tried to pretend that everything was alright. He joked with his co-workers to make them feel more comfortable about his new situation. But Miguel was hiding something inside that he was struggling with. Every day while he cut meat, all he could think about was that red car. When Miguel was staying in the rehab facility, the police officer had paid him another visit. He told them that, unfortunately, there were no witnesses who were able to describe the car and no one got a license plate number. There were also no street or security cameras in the area of the accident that caught anything, so they were calling it a hit-and-run case with no absolution, as it could not identify a suspect. The image of those headlights had haunted Miguel since the night of the accident. The moment when the fender turned just enough was etched in his memory. He felt absolute disdain for whoever it was who had been driving that night. Miguel's accident did not make the local news or anything, so whoever it was was getting away with maiming Miguel, and that enraged him. One day, Miguel was alone on the morning shift. He had finished his opening duties and had started his daily cut list. The store wasn't too busy yet. There was a steady flow of customers making their way in. Usually the only noise that Miguel heard while he was on the block was the whine of the refrigeration and the noise of the meat cutting machines. But on this day, Miguel heard a noise he never thought he would hear inside the grocery store. A series of popping noises followed by the sound of people screaming. He recognized the sound as that of gunfire. Miguel stood on the block dumbfounded as he heard the commotion out in the store ensue. Then, something snapped inside of Miguel's head. He thought of the person in the red car, about what the person had done to him and gotten away with it. He thought now there was someone out there in his place of employment, attempting to hurt people. He decided that he couldn't let this person get away with it. He took off his apron and coat and picked up his honing steel. He grabbed the hoop-shaped wrench that was used to assemble and disassemble the meat grinder off the machine and started for the shop door with a tool in each hand. As he approached the shop door, he heard a few more pops and could still hear people screaming. The pops seemed closer, so he laid in wait. He saw some people run by his shop door, trying to duck as they ran. Then he heard another pop. This one was close. Miguel ducked back against the wall to look out the shop door window at an angle. The gunman walked by the shop door. Miguel took his chance. He flung open the shop door. The gunman turned around, startled by the door, to see Miguel charging toward him. The gunman's eyes opened wide and he raised his weapon to Miguel. Miguel could now see that it was a 10mm handgun. The gunman foolishly tried to aim one-handed, and Miguel took the opportunity to swing his arm with a wrench. The hook 
of the wrench caught the gunman's wrist and Miguel pulled down on it. Off balance, the gunman pulled the trigger, hitting Miguel in the leg. Miguel was unaffected and it shocked the gunman. Before the gunman could react, Miguel swung the honing steel with his other hand, striking the gunman again on the wrist, forcing him to drop the weapon. Immediately, Miguel swung again, this time striking the gunman on the side of the neck. Sirens could be heard approaching outside. The gunman went down to one knee, and Miguel swung again, this time with the wrench hitting the gunman on the face. The gunman fell to the floor on his stomach. He looked up at Miguel and reached for the gun. Miguel swung the honing steel again, this time striking the gunman near the top of his forehead. The gunman slumped to the floor and stopped moving. Police officers came running down different aisles with weapons drawn. They reached the meat department to find Miguel standing over the gunman with his tools still in hand, both of which were bloodied. One of the officers called out for Miguel to drop his tools and put up his hands, and he complied. A few of the officers slowly approached. They noticed that Miguel was wearing a uniform from the store. One of them kneeled down to check the gunman. He was still alive. They asked Miguel what had happened, and he told them he was pretty sure that he had just taken down a mass shooter. A few of the officers did not appreciate Miguel's candor, but they told him that he could relax, that they needed to detain him for more questioning. The store had been evacuated, but was now filling up with people again. This time, it wasn't customers, though. It was law enforcement personnel, firefighters, and EMTs that were flooding in to assist with the situation. Outside, local news media were gathering and setting up broadcasts to break the story. The gunman had only managed to hit three people, and all of them were going to survive. The police had questioned Miguel and watched security footage of his altercation with the gunman. They had determined that he acted in self-defense, and he was not arrested, and no charges were filed. When the gunman had fired during their fight, the bullet was deflected by the carbon fiber socket of Miguel's prosthesis. The EMT had asked him if he wanted to go to the hospital for evaluation, but he declined. He told them that he had spent enough time in the hospital recently, as they could see. Several hours later, the investigation concluded. The gunman had been loaded into an ambulance and taken to a hospital. Local media outlets were still camped outside attempting to get more information or perhaps an interview with someone involved. They already knew Miguel's name, but no one had a chance to try to speak with him yet, and they were all chomping at the bit to do so. When the police finally told him he could leave, Miguel rushed to head home. As he exited the front door of the store, he was rushed by the media who were waiting for him. He attempted to ignore them, but they swarmed around him. So he stopped in his tracks and raised his hand to motion for quiet. All the journalists stopped and held their microphones toward him. After a moment of silence, Miguel said, I did what someone had to do. That's all. Then he walked away and got into his car and drove off. Miguel got home. He sat at his desk and began rehashing the day's events in his mind. He opened his laptop and clicked on his internet browser. When the browser opened, the first headline he saw was, Grocery store employee stops mass shooter. He 
He stared at the headline for a long time. He copied the headline and pasted it into the search bar and clicked search. A list of headlines and thumbnails came up, all about what he had done that day. There were even videos from the local news reports that had aired. Miguel began to click on each headline one by one. He read every article and watched every video. They all said the same thing, of course, just in different ways. The gunman had been identified and no one could understand why he went into the store and began shooting. Three people were hit as they fled and all were hospitalized in stable condition. And all the articles identified Miguel as the grocery store employee who had taken the shooter down. All the articles called him a hero for doing what he had done. They talked about how the gunman was in the hospital and in critical condition. It was the same hospital that Miguel had spent his time in. They didn't mention the violent way the hero had brought the gunman down, except one. Miguel had spent several hours at the computer. The sun had been down for a few hours, and he didn't even realize it. He continued to click on the headlines and read the stories about him. As the night grew late, he clicked on a new video from the local news station. He'd watched a video earlier with the same journalist who had been at the store, Lisa Contreras. This was an update she stated was an exclusive she was able to acquire and air before anyone else. Somehow, she managed to get a copy of the security camera footage from Miguel's store. The footage was from a camera behind Miguel, so you couldn't see his face in it. The journalist preempted the video with a warning that it was graphic. It showed the entire altercation between Miguel and the gunman. A flash could be seen in the video when the gun had gone off, and the journalist explained how the bullet had not affected Miguel because of his prosthesis. In the video, you could see when the gunman went for the gun on the floor one last time, only to be struck down by Miguel. And then the video also showed Miguel standing ominously over the gunman with his tools in hand until police arrived. There were two things that the security footage did not show clearly. The first thing that Miguel noticed was you couldn't really tell how blood-soaked his tools were after he beat the gunman down with them. The other thing that you could not see on the video was the one thing that Miguel knew he was the only one to see during the incident. And that was the fear in the gunman's eyes when he reached for the gun that last time. Miguel wondered why the gunman was afraid of him. The gunman had apparently gone to the store with the intention of hurting others. When he looked into Miguel's eyes, why did his demeanor seem to change so dramatically? The media was portraying Miguel as a hero, but was he really? Miguel began to question himself as he watched the video over and over again. He finally paused it at the moment when the gunman had looked up at him before going for the gun. He stared at the screen, remembering that look of fear. In that final moment of their conflict, Miguel was not the one acting in self-defense. As all the articles had said, the gunman ultimately was. Miguel closed his laptop and stood up. He walked over to his refrigerator and took out a beer, opened it, and chugged the whole thing down. He reached in and took out another beer and closed the refrigerator. He then stood in his kitchen counter thinking. He thought about all the articles he had read and all the videos he had watched. He thought about the security camera footage. He thought about his accident. He thought about the news crews. He thought about how his accident did not make the news. He thought about how the person responsible for harming him was still out there, unpunished. Miguel looked down at his leg. 
there was a hole in his pants where the bullet had hit. He realized that he had the unpunished to thank for being able to handle the situation the way he did. Without that prosthesis, with his old leg, he would have been shot. The gunman probably would have then killed him. So in a way, the person in the red car that night had saved Miguel's life. And that enraged him. At that moment, Miguel decided that if the police were finished hunting down the person who was driving that red car, then he would continue the hunt himself. Miguel began his investigation the next day. His work had given him a few days off to get his head together after what had happened. He didn't really sleep much, but he felt rested enough when he decided to get up. He made some coffee and scrolled through his phone. He had several text messages from friends that had left unread, and he had a long list of missed calls as well. He opened his phone's web browser to discover there were new headlines about the previous day's events. There were updates on people who had been shot, and they were all doing well, which Miguel thought was good to hear. One of the victims was a co-worker, which he hadn't realized before. The identity of the gunman had been released as well. His name was Devon Latham. He was in the intensive care unit of the hospital and was listed in stable condition. Miguel also hadn't realized how severely he had beaten Devon down. Miguel then typed car headlight pics into the search bar. A variety of pics of all makes and models popped up, a seemingly infinite list of merchants to purchase from. He scrolled continuously, but his efforts seemed moot as there were far too many pics to sift through. He tried to jog his memory further. It was a red sedan, but what make or model was it? He remembered it being a mid-sized car with a sleek appearance. He looked up European models. That's when he came across the headlights he recognized. The pick was a BMW 3 Series. The headlight configuration was etched in Miguel's memory. He now knew what kind of car hit him. Now, how was he to go about finding it? The car had turned into a residential neighborhood that night. Miguel wondered if the owner perhaps lived in that neighborhood. He decided just to go for a drive around that area on the chance that he may find something, though he hoped the police had already done that. A little while later, Miguel found himself sitting in the intersection where his accident happened. He was sitting in the same spot that the red car had been before it crept forward into his lane. As he waited to make the same turn the red car had, the events of the accident played through his memory. He looked in his rearview mirror at the spot where he had been laying in the road when help arrived. He grew angry. The light turned green and Miguel turned into the neighborhood that the red car had that night. He drove up and down the streets of the neighborhood aimlessly looking for the red car. The neighborhood was definitely a high-end area with huge, expensive-looking houses. There were lakes, parks, and schools in the area. Because of the type of neighborhood it was, there were many expensive cars in the area as well, including several BMWs. Unfortunately, Miguel did not come across any red ones. He thought to himself that it had been several months. The owner could have traded in the damaged vehicle, or it was possible they just weren't home, if they even lived in the area. He knew this was a long shot, but it was also the only place he had to start. Miguel ended up back at the intersection where the accident had taken place. He decided that he wasn't going to find anything the way he was doing things. He turned out of the neighborhood and headed toward the plaza where his work was. 
there was a sports bar in the plaza that he would occasionally go to after work. He decided to go there and get something to eat and rethink his efforts. Gil pulled into the plaza and parked at the sports bar. He went inside and took a seat at the bar. Bartender, Lena, had worked there for quite some time and knew all the regulars. She immediately recognized him and she signaled to him that she'd be right with him as she pretended to listen to a story that another patron was telling her. Miguel gazed up at the TV behind the bar. They were showing the local news. They were in the middle of a pet adoption segment. Miguel got lost in thought as he stared up at the television, not really paying attention to it. He wondered if he was out of his mind, thinking that he could investigate this accident. If the police couldn't solve the case, what made him think he could? Lena said something about the puppy on the TV and startled Miguel. He asked her what she had said and she said that it was important and asked him if he was okay. She then asked him why it had been so long since he had been in. She told Miguel that she had been following the news story about the shooting at his store. She asked him what the news meant when they had said he had a prosthetic leg that had blocked a bullet. Miguel realized that he hadn't been in the sports bar since before his accident. Miguel laughed and apologized to Lena. He told her that a lot had happened since the last time he was in. He told her about the accident, and that was why he now had a prosthetic leg. He told her that he hadn't been back to work for very long. Then he told her his version of what had happened at the store. Lena came around from behind the bar, wrapped her arms around Miguel, hugging him tightly. Miguel was surprised and reluctantly hugged her back. She told him that she was glad he was okay and demanded that he never go that long without stopping in again. Miguel apologized and promised that he wouldn't let it happen again. The news on the TV came back from commercial and they immediately went into a story about the shooter. Miguel and Lena both began paying attention to the story. The journalist covering the story was the same one who had first broken the security footage of the incident. She talked about the gunman, Yvonne Latham, and how he was being released from the hospital and transferred to a state correctional facility. He would stand trial for an act of terrorism for the shooting. Lena told Miguel she couldn't believe that Devon would do such a thing. Shocked, Miguel asked her what she meant. She said that Devon occasionally stopped into the bar. He seemed like a nice guy. She said that he had a daughter who was about to finish studying pre-med in college, that he had supported the two of them by working as a mechanic and as an out-of-body technician. Definitely not someone who would just randomly start shooting strangers in a grocery store. Miguel was completely dumbfounded by the amount of information Lena knew about a guy who, as she had put it, occasionally stopped in. Curious, he asked her how she did. She explained to him that one of the biggest parts of a bartender's job is listening. And sometimes she just happened to actually pay attention when she did. Another patron shouted Lena's name, and she shouted back that she'd be right there. She told Miguel to have a seat, she'd get him a beer and something to eat, and she insisted that it be on the house. She got back behind the bar and grabbed a beer bottle from the cooler on her way to the other patron. Miguel sat down and looked up at the news again. The story about Devon was still going, and they were showing the footage of Miguel beating him down. Miguel suddenly felt like he was being watched. He turned and noticed that several of the bar patrons were also watching the news story and looking at him. He sat at the bar and attempted to hide his face. The journalist on the television screen concluded her story by mentioning Miguel by name and seeing that she had been attempting to contact him unsuccessfully. Miguel figured that some of those missed calls he'd been ignoring must have been her. News anchors took over 
and switched to a wrong way driver's story as Lena returned and set a basket with a Philly cheesesteak and fries with a beer in front of Miguel. Miguel smiled for what he felt was the first time in a really long time and thanked her. She told him that she'd be back to check on him in a bit, and then she walked away. Miguel took a bite of his sandwich and began to think about what his next move would be. He was beginning to realize that locating the red car wasn't exactly the most thought out plan, and even if he was able to locate it, what would he do next? He had been acting impulsively and even foolishly. A few minutes later, Lena came back to check on Miguel. He had already finished his food and was about to finish his beer. She offered him another and he graciously accepted. She asked him how long he was going to be off work and he explained that he had a few more days. She then asked if he was going to be doing anything during his unexpected time off. Miguel told her about his crazy idea to look for the car that had hit him. He joked that since the news seemed to think he was some kind of a superhero or something, that he would try to solve his own case when the police hadn't been able to. He explained to her that there were no close enough witnesses to get a license plate number. Then he told her that he was pretty sure he had figured out what kind of car it was. Lena told him to hold that thought for a bit while she checked on the other bar patrons and she scurried away. Miguel took a drink of his beer and began to think about Devon. When Lena told him what she knew about him, Miguel started to feel bad for what he had done to him. Then he reminded himself that Devon was shooting up his place of employment. Miguel thought the whole situation was very strange. Lena returned and immediately asked Miguel what kind of car he thought it was that hit him. He laughed and told her he suspected that it was a BMW. He explained that the one thing that stood out clear in his mind from that night was the shape of the headlights on that car. He told her that it was pretty sure it was a red car. Then he hesitantly told her that he had been out driving around the neighborhood the car had turned into, looking for it. Lena got a look on her face like she had just come to a realization. And she told Miguel that on weekends, she attended a bar and drove a beer cart for the Greenhaven Country Club that was down the street. She said that there was a red BMW that she had seen in the parking lot from time to time when she was there. And she joked that it was a long shot, but he might want to check it out. And she was shocked when Miguel told her that he would. He asked her if she knew who the car belonged to, and she said that unfortunately she did not. She told him that she didn't care much for the clientele she had to serve there and didn't pay as much attention to them as she did at the bar. She apologized and promised she would pay attention this weekend if she saw the car again. Miguel told Lena that he was going to drive by the country club just in case. Then he joked that he was going to finish the new beer that she had just opened for him. As the two laughed, someone called out Miguel's full name. Miguel turned around to see that it was the journalist from the local news. She approached Miguel and asked him if she could speak with him for a few minutes. She had a cameraman with her who was holding his camera at the ready. She began to tell him that her name was Lisa. Miguel cut her off and finished her sentence by saying her last name, Contreras. He told her that he watched the news before he became such a focal point of it and they had just seen her story about him. Miguel stood up to confront her. He asked her how she had located and she responded that one of the bar patrons had been kind enough to call the studio. She apologized for ambushing him this way but explained that people were excited to know more about him and she really wanted the privilege of delivering that to him. Miguel looked around the bar and everyone turned their heads in shame. Miguel told Lisa she had already delivered all there was to say about him. He worked in the store and took down the shooter. He didn't feel there was any more to say. Lisa explained that people wanted to know more about what drove him to be the hero that day. Why did he intervene instead of trying to escape 
Why was he an amputee? Was he a veteran? There were so many things people wanted to know. Miguel told Lisa that he wasn't interested in letting people know any more about him than they already did. He told her that he never intended to be a hero and that anything else wasn't anyone's business. He turned to Lena and took out his wallet. He retrieved a $20 bill and handed it to her. He apologized for not drinking the third beer so he would pay for it himself. He thanked her for the conversation and promised that it wouldn't be as long before his next visit. Then he turned and left the bar, walking around Lisa and the cameraman along his way. When he was gone, Lena told Lisa and her cameraman that the lunch special was a Philly cheesesteak if they cared to have a seat. The cameraman gestured to Lisa to sit. She shrugged her shoulders and took a seat. Miguel got into his car and left the bar. He knew where the country club that Lena worked at was located and he headed that direction. On the way, he passed the intersection where the accident had occurred again. It was feasible that someone could have left the country club and driven to a home in that neighborhood. He continued driving down the street and turned into the area where the country club was located. He pulled into the main entrance and immediately scanned the parking lot for the red car. He didn't see one there and began to wonder if he was out of his mind for trying to find it. He decided to park and have a look around inside, though he wasn't quite sure why. He went inside the main building and began to look around. Just inside the main entrance was the pro shop for the golf course. Across the hall from it was a seating area with a bar. There were a few people sitting at one of the tables and there was a bartender on duty. Miguel thought to himself that he'd had good luck talking to bartenders that day with all the information he'd gotten from Lena. So why not try the bartender here? Miguel approached the bar and asked the bartender if it was a private party. The bartender told him that it was not, and the bar was open to the public because of the golf course. Miguel's accident had occurred on a Friday evening, so he asked the bartender what things were like at this country club during nights like that. He said that he assumed it wasn't people playing golf or tennis. The bartender told him that late on a Friday evening was most likely a special event, like a wedding or a family reunion. Miguel asked the bartender if there was any way he could find out what event was going on that night, but the bartender told him that it was considered private information and he wasn't allowed to give it out. He said he didn't really know anyway, as it was the country club's sales managers who were the ones that handled the event planning, but they wouldn't tell him either, as it was country club policy. Miguel thanked the bartender and left. Miguel got into his car and drove home. He felt an odd disappointment that he hadn't found out anything, but at the same time, he realized his plan had been far-fetched to begin with. When he got home, he sat at his desk and opened his laptop to check his email. He opened the internet, and the first thing he saw was Devon Latham's mugshot. He clicked on the article and read that Devon was released from the hospital and transferred to a state correction facility, as the TV news had said earlier. In the picture, you could still see the damage that Miguel had done to Devon with his tools. Miguel almost felt bad for Devon again. He had taken his rage out on Devon, his rage for the driver of the red car. Despite what he had stopped Devon from doing, he shouldn't have used Devon as an outlet. He decided that the next day, he would try to visit Devon in jail. Miguel felt the need to apologize to him. Next day, Miguel drove to the correctional facility that Devon was being detained at. He went into the main entrance and approached the front counter. 
The officer behind the glass asked how he could help. Miguel told him that he was there to visit an inmate. The officer asked for the inmate's name, and Miguel replied, Devon Latham. The officer looked confused. He asked Miguel why he was there to visit Devon, that he had seen a recent picture of him on the news, and he looked familiar, to which Miguel replied that he wasn't aware that there were any pictures of him that had made it onto the news, other than his initial statement he made to the press as he had left the store that day. The officer told Miguel that one of the news stations had posted a picture they took of Miguel in a bar yesterday. The officer checked to see if Devon was allowed visitors. When he told his superior that it was Miguel who was there to see him, he was given permission to bring Miguel in. Getting Miguel through security check was interesting with his prosthesis. Once through, he was escorted to the visitation room. He was directed to one of the phone windows and asked to have a seat. A few minutes later, Miguel saw a door open on the other side of the glass and Devon was brought through by a guard. The guard walked Devon to the window that Miguel was sitting at and told him that he could take a seat and that they had 10 minutes to speak. Devon looked at Miguel, confused, though he obviously recognized him. Devon's face was still badly battered from the beating Miguel had given him. One of his eyes was swollen nearly shut and he had a huge knot on his head where the knockout blow had been dealt. Miguel picked up the phone on his side of the glass, and Devon sat down and picked up his. Devon told Miguel that when he heard that he had a visitor, he had hoped it was his daughter. Miguel decided to make an attempt to make Devon feel more comfortable talking to him by asking if he was referring to the daughter who was attending college. Devon's eyes opened wide, and he appeared irritated. He angrily asked Miguel how he knew about his daughter. Miguel explained that he was a regular at the sports bar and that Lena had mentioned that she knew Devon. He apologized if he came across as creepy. Devon settled down and now appeared saddened. He told Miguel that she was the only daughter he had, only family in fact. Miguel further explained that apologies were the reason that he was there in the first place. He told Devon that when Lena told him what she knew about him, he felt bad for him. When he saw the footage of their altercation on the news, he knew that he needed to apologize for taking things too far. Miguel explained to Devon that he had recently gone through something personal and that he had taken his anger from the situation out on him that day. Devon joked by saying that he was, after all, shooting up the place that day. Things got awkwardly quiet for a few moments. Then Miguel did something that he wasn't even expecting himself to do. He asked Devon why he did it. Devon's expression changed to somber. He looked up at Miguel and told him that everything he did in life at that point was for his daughter, and as bad as things sounded, that included what he had done that day. He said that things were far too complicated to explain. Miguel began to tell Devon the story of his accident. He told him about leaving the store that night about where the accident took place and about his ordeal getting back to work. He then told him about his crazy idea to try to find the person who had done this to him on his own. He was attempting to explain to Devon that he had understood things being complicated. Devon's demeanor changed again, this time to confusion, as if someone had just asked him a challenging riddle. Then he looked back at Miguel and asked him to confirm that the car in the story he told him was a red one. 
Miguel confirmed that it was. Yvonne then asked if it happened to be a BMW. Miguel's face went pale and he stared at Devon in disbelief. He started to shout, but quickly gathered his composure as he didn't want this to be overheard. Then he asked Devon how he knew the make of the car, especially since he himself had just figured it out several months later after the accident. Devon explained that he was putting time frame together. He explained that around the time of Miguel's accident, a red BMW was brought into the auto body shop that he worked at. He said that the damage to the driver's side fender matched Miguel's description of the accident. He further explained that the whole situation was odd because the vehicle owner insisted on paying out of pocket for repairs as opposed to using their auto insurance. Devon said he paid for the repairs with a credit card. Miguel pointed out that Devon had said he when he referred to the owner. He asked Devon if he remembered what the owner's name was. Devon shook his head and told Miguel that unfortunately he did not. He said that if he were at the shop, he'd be able to look things up, all things considered, but he doubted that his boss would just let Miguel have the information. The guard approached Devon from behind and told him their time was up. Devon turned back to Miguel and told him the only other thing he remembered about the vehicle owner was that he was a doctor. He told Miguel that he accepted his apology for the ass kicking with no hard feelings. Then he hung up the phone and stood up. The guard escorted Devon back through the door they had come through before. Miguel hung up his phone and stood up. He stood there for a moment, dumbfounded, and then another guard asked him if he was okay. Miguel apologized and replied yes. Then the guard escorted him back to the main lobby. Miguel walked out to his car and got in. He started the engine and turned on the radio. But then he just sat there for quite some time, trying to process everything that he had just learned in his mind. After the fifth song began playing on the radio, since he turned it on, Miguel realized how long he had been sitting there. He decided that there was someone that he needed to discuss this information with further. As he was about to put his car into reverse, there was a knock on his window. It was Lisa Contreras. Miguel opened the car door, and Lisa took a step back to let him out. Miguel stood up and asked her what she was doing there. She told him that she was about to ask him the same thing. Miguel snapped back that he didn't realize that every move he made was now newsworthy. Lisa explained that there were other stories to cover at the correctional facility but then sarcastically accused Miguel of having a large ego for assuming she was looking for him. Miguel returned the sarcasm with an apology, saying that she was right. Then he asked her if there was a reason she knocked on his window, other than just to say hi. She replied that it would go against her journalistic integrity if she didn't ask him what he was doing there when she happened to notice him. He told her that he was visiting someone, and that he was just leaving. Then he opened the car door, and before he got in, she told him that if he ever changed his mind about the interview, just to call the station and ask for her by name. Miguel shut his car door and put the car in reverse. He started to back out, and Lisa stepped out of the way. Miguel pulled out of the parking lot and headed for the sports bar. A short time later, Miguel walked into the sports bar. He looked toward the bar and immediately made eye contact with Lena. She was currently engaged in conversation with a patron, but smiled, and Miguel to acknowledge 
but she knew he was there. Miguel walked toward the bar and took a seat at the end so they could talk away from the other patrons. Lena approached and set a beer in front of him. He took a sip, and she asked him what he was doing. Miguel told her that he had visited Devon, and that his investigation had taken an odd turn. Lena appeared shocked, and it took her a second to ask him what he meant. Miguel explained to her why he had initially gone to see Devon, just to apologize for what he had done to him. He told her he felt the need after what she had told him about Devon. Then he told her how he had told Devon the story about his accident for some reason. And that was when the conversation took an odd turn. He told her about how Devon had suspected the BMW and about how it belonged to a doctor. He asked her if she knew where the body shop that Devon had worked at was located. And she told him that she believed it was only a few miles away. Miguel told Lena that things could hardly be coincidental given the proximity of everything that had been going on. She told him that she had a shift at the country club the next day, and that she'd keep an eye on the parking lot. A doctor was someone who was very likely to be a member there, so it was a possibility it could be the same car. Miguel then told her how he had another confrontation with Ms. Contreras for the news at the correction facility. Lena seemed to get unusually irritated at that news. She acted very defensive toward Miguel, which surprised him. When she noticed the look on his face, she changed the subject. She asked him what his next step was going to be. Miguel took another drink of his beer and looked at the chalkboard behind Lena. He set his beer down and told her that the chili cheeseburger sounded like a good next move from now. She smiled and walked over to the kitchen window. Next day, Miguel sat on the couch in his apartment watching a movie. He decided that his mind needed to distress for a little while, and he came across Night of the Living Dead on a streaming service. Just as Helen Cooper was about to be killed by her zombie daughter, Miguel received a text message. It was Lena. She had asked him for his number the day before in the event that she turned up any information during her shift at the country club. Miguel hoped that she had asked for other reasons as well. The text read, You'll never believe this. Miguel replied, What's up? The next message nearly stopped Miguel's heart. It was a pic of a red BMW in the parking lot of the country club. Miguel texted back, Did you see who it belongs to? A moment later, she replied, This is the part you won't believe. And then she sent another pic. The picture showed the driver getting into the car. It was Lisa Contreras. Miguel was dumbstruck. Lena texted and asked him what he was going to do. He replied that he was going to visit Devon again and show him the pick of the car to see if he could identify it. He let her know that he would text her if he found out anything. He paused the movie and turned off the TV. A while later, Miguel sat in another window as a guard on the other side told Devon to have a seat and they had 10 minutes. The two men picked up the phones, and Miguel greeted Devon. Devon asked Miguel if these visits were going to become a regular thing. Miguel told him that it depended on how fast they could talk and how truthful the two of them could be with each other. Devon told Miguel that he was listening. Miguel held his phone up to the window and showed Devon the pic of the red BMW. He asked Devon if there's any way it could be the same one that he had worked on. 
Yvonne stared at the pic for a moment and then looked Miguel in the eyes again and said, Yeah, that's the one. He told Miguel that he recognized the license plate number. Miguel took his phone down for a moment and swiped the screen, then held it to the window again. It was the pic of Lisa Contreras getting into the car. Miguel asked Yvonne if she was sure, because the woman in the pic was a TV journalist covering their story. Devon looked at Miguel like he had offended him and told him that he knew who she was as he had been watching the news himself. Then he took a deep breath and checked over his shoulders. He looked back at Miguel and told him that he was going to tell something that he hadn't even told his lawyer. Devon proceeded to tell Miguel that he was the reason he had shot up the grocery store that day. He explained to Miguel that he didn't know the connection to Lisa, but that the guy who had paid to have the car repaired was definitely a doctor. It had the prefix on his credit card. He told him that he had done too much digging when he got suspicious of the way the repairs had been handled. He looked into the accident reports that had been recently filed, and he made a correlation that he hadn't expected. His shop also owned a salvage yard across town and he had stumbled across documents for a motorcycle that had been brought into the salvage yard around the same time that the red car had been brought into the body shop. The documents stated that the bike had been totaled out by the owner's insurance company, and pictures of the bike were included in the file. He noticed in one of the pics that the bike had a scuff of red paint on parts of the one side, the left side, if you were riding it. He went on to explain that when the owner of the car came in to pay for the repairs and pick up the car, he confronted him and asked him if his car had anything to do with the motorcycle in the salvage yard. He said that the owner grew very defensive and told him to mind his own business. Devon then told Miguel that he had pretty much left things alone at that, but then things took a turn just a few days ago when he got an unexpected visit from the car owner again. He told him that the doctor had cornered him when he was alone in the shop and threatened him but the one thing that he couldn't sacrifice. Devon told Miguel that his daughter had passed the medical college admission test and was applying to medical school. Devon explained to Miguel that the doctor had threatened him, more specifically his daughter. The doctor told Devon that if he wanted his daughter to get accepted to medical school, that he would have to do him a favor. Devon told Miguel that he was his intended target that day at the grocery store. For some reason, the doctor wanted him dead, but he was ordered to make it look like a mass shooting. The doctor told Devon that if he didn't do it, he would find someone more desperate than him to kill his daughter. He told Miguel that he never intended to hit any of the other victims that day. He was just firing wild shots. The shots were meant to draw him out in the chaos. Devon explained that he was shown pictures of Miguel and told to take him out as soon as he saw him. Miguel realized that was why Devon had looked so shocked when he attacked him. He recognized him and was unknowingly fighting for his own life. Devon further explained that after he took Miguel out, he was supposed to take his own life in exchange not only would his daughter be accepted to medical school, but she would be granted internships at the finest establishments post-graduation. The doctor was ensuring Devon's daughter's future for him something he felt he had been failing to do himself. Then he told Miguel that he had been lying to him about not remembering the doctor's name. 
He told them that the doctor's name was Thomas Mitchell. Miguel recognized the name. It was his orthopedist. Miguel sat astonished. The things he was hearing were unbelievable, yet all made sense at the same time in a way. There were some things that still didn't make sense. Like why did Miguel's orthopedist want him dead? Miguel asked Ivan why he didn't tell him these things before. A guard stepped behind Ivan and declared, Time's up. Ivan told Miguel, That was why. He hoped he had heard enough this time, as he feared what may happen if anyone knew he had told Miguel this information. Ivan stood up and told Miguel good luck and hung up his phone. The guard escorted Devon away. A few minutes later, Devon and the guard arrived at his cell. The guard opened the cell door and Devon stepped inside. The guard shut the cell door and Devon placed his hands to the slot in the bars so the guard could remove his handcuffs. But the guard just walked away. Devon shouted at the guard that he didn't take his cuffs off, but the guard continued to walk away. Devon turned around, and his cellmate was standing behind him. He had something in his hand. A while later, Miguel arrived home. He sat at his desk and texted Lena. She replied that she was still working at the country club, but she could talk. Miguel told her that he had gotten more information from Devon than he could have hoped for. He told her that he knew who the car belonged to, but that he didn't know why Lisa Contreras was driving it. He told her that it was a lot to text and it may be easier if they meet up at the sports bar after work. Lena told him that she could just come to his place and she didn't want to go to her other work on her day away from it. Miguel agreed reluctantly and Lena told him she'd text for his address when she was on her way. Miguel set his phone down and began madly cleaning his apartment. A few hours later, there was a knock at Miguel's door. He took a last look around his apartment to make sure there was nothing embarrassing sitting out and opened the door. He greeted Lena and invited her in. She immediately asked him if he'd heard the news. Confused, Miguel asked her what news she was referring to. She told him that she should probably show him. She noticed his laptop sitting on the desk and walked over to it. She brought up a search engine and typed in Devon Latham. A barrage of headlines popped up, and Lena clicked on the first one. A video of Lisa Contreras reporting began playing. There's a breaking news story about Devon. He'd been found dead in his cell just a short time before Lena arrived. According to the story, Devon's cellmate had stabbed him several times with an improvised prison shank. It was unknown how he'd been able to craft it. Miguel should have been shocked, but so much had happened that the unbelievable was beginning to feel like the norm. He told Lena that it must have happened right after he had left the correctional facility earlier. He told her that he suspected Devon's death was connected somehow, considering the information he had been given. Lena asked him what Devon had told him. Miguel told her everything that Devon had said about the threats and his daughter. He told her about how the doctor had strong-armed Devon into killing him, and how he had ruined the doctor's plans by fighting back against Devon. Lena was struggling to process everything. She said it was a lot to take in. Then Miguel mentioned that there was more. 
and he told her that the doctor he was referring to was the same one who had performed his amputation. Lena was trying to put things together and asked Miguel why his doctor wanted him dead. Miguel told her that that was one thing he hadn't figured out yet, along with Dr. Mitchell's relationship to Lisa Contreras. Lena asked Miguel what he was going to do next, and he told her that he was going to put more blood in the water. He asked what she meant, and he explained that if you want to attract a shark, you chum the water. He took out his phone and began searching for something. When he found it, he clicked on it and put his phone on speaker. A woman's voice answered after several rings. She said, News Channel 5, how may I direct your call? Miguel replied, I would like to speak to Lisa Contreras, please. The woman on the phone asked Miguel to hold. He looked at Lena and asked her if she thought the sports bar would let Lisa interview him there. Later that evening, Lisa walked into the sports bar. She had her cameraman with her. She looked around and saw Miguel sitting in a booth in a corner. The two made their way over to the booth and Lisa sat across from Miguel. Her cameraman set up the camera on a stand behind her. She asked Miguel why he had a change of heart toward the interview. And he responded that he felt it was the only way to get the world off his back. The cameraman started recording and Lisa began asking her asinine questions. She asked him about what it was like working at the grocery store and if he ever thought an incident like that would take place there. She asked Miguel to tell his version of the day's events. She asked what was going through his mind when he came face to face with Devon. She asked him if he had heard about Devon's death earlier that day. Then she asked him the question that he was waiting for. Lisa asked Miguel why he had been visiting Devon at the correctional facility. Each question she asked, Miguel did his best to just tell the camera what it wanted to hear. He watched enough interviews like this to know how it would be presented. He made grocery store work seem routine and humble. He acted like he was in disbelief that anything like that could have happened at his workplace. He told her that the physical confrontation was all a blur, even though that was a lie. He told her that he had heard about Devon's death, and that is what led him to contacting her. When she asked the last question, Miguel paused for a few moments. He stared at Lisa. He could tell it made her anxious. Then he told Lisa the same thing he told Devon. After he watched the footage of what he had done to Devon, he felt the need to apologize. He told her they had recently gone through some things in his personal life, and he felt like he may have taken some of his frustrations out on Devon. Despite what Devon had done, he felt that he had taken things too far. Lisa stared at Miguel in disbelief because she saw something in his eyes that was much different than what he was describing. After they finished the interview, Lisa and the cameraman went over to a different area of the bar to film their opening and closing segments for the interview. Miguel sat at the bar drinking a beer. He texted Lena, who was sitting out in the parking lot in her car, that they should be finishing things soon. During the interview, she had texted Miguel that the cameraman arrived in the news van, but that Lisa had arrived in the BMW. Lisa and her cameraman finished. They packed up his gear. Lisa walked over to Miguel. She thanked him for the interview and told him
told them it would air after they did some editing in the morning. She told them to contact her if there were anything else. And then she said goodnight and left. The cameraman went out the door. Miguel called Lena and told her that the two were leaving. She said she was watching. When Lisa got into her car, Lena told Miguel that she was going to follow her. Miguel agreed and said that he would follow shortly to avoid suspicion. They hung up the phone and Lena followed Lisa out of the parking lot and down the street. Back at the sports bar, Miguel finished his beer. He received a text from Lena with the address of where she had ended up. He left the sports bar and got into his car. He entered the address that Lena had texted him into his GPS. It was located in the neighborhood he had driven around. He headed that direction and as he approached the intersection where his accident occurred, he turned into the neighborhood. When he closed in on the address, he could see Lena's car. She was parked next to a Greenbelt Park. He parked behind her as she got out of her car and ran over to the passenger side of Miguel's car and got in. She told him that the street ahead to the right was a cul-de-sac and that Lisa had parked one of the houses in the end of the circle. She said that she could see the house sitting in her car. She said that she couldn't tell if anyone else was there, but there was a garage, so there could be. Miguel told Lena to wait in her car and keep an eye on the house. She asked him what he was going to do, and he told her that he was going to have one last talk with Miss Contreras. He got out of the car and began walking to the house where the red car was parked. Lena got back into her car to wait. It was a really quiet neighborhood, and no one seemed to notice Miguel walking to the house. He avoided the front door in case of a doorbell camera, and went around one side of the house. He tried a window, but it was locked, so he tried the side gate that led to the backyard. It was also locked. There was an air conditioning unit on the ground that he could use to climb over the fence, but he hesitated, as that would be the most physical endeavor he would attempt with his prosthetic leg. He decided that he had come too far and began to climb. As he managed to get on top of the wall and sit, he just had to jump down to the other side. He knew he had to hurry before someone saw him, but he again hesitated. He looked down at the ground like it was his enemy. Then he slid off the fence. His feet hit the ground, and the shock to his residual limb was more intense than he had anticipated. It felt like someone had jabbed it with a cattle prod. He fell over tried not to make any noise as he waited for the pain to subside. When the pins and needles feeling was gone, Miguel was able to stand and started making his way around the back of the house, checking windows as he went. Around the back of the house, the outdoor lighting was not on, but Miguel could see a light coming from a window. He ducked down under the window and peered in to see that it was the kitchen, and Lisa was serving herself a glass of wine. She was wearing a bathing suit. Miguel ducked back down and looked over toward the yard. He noticed there was a pool with a hot tub. The outdoor lights turned on and Miguel dropped to the ground and tried to hide behind the grill. Lisa came out and flipped another switch and was turned on the bubbles in the hot tub. Lisa climbed down out of the hot tub with her glass of wine and sat down. Miguel did his best to sneak around the grill without making any noise. The bubbles in the hot tub provided enough noise cover for him to open the back door and get inside. Once inside, Miguel grabbed the honing steel 
from the kitchen cutlery set and looked around for the master bedroom. After a few minutes, Lisa finished her glass of wine and got out of the hot tub. She turned off the bubbles and dried off with a towel. She took off a patio chair and went inside. She set her empty glass of wine on the counter in the kitchen and made her way to the bedroom. She opened a dresser drawer and started laying a change of clothes out on the bed. She pulled out some underwear and a t-shirt. She closed the first drawer and opened the second one. As she pulled out a pair of shorts, Miguel struck her in the back of the neck with the honing steel. By the time Lisa was coherent enough to realize what had happened, Miguel had already bound her hands together and tied them to the headboard with a t-shirt she had laid out. He was using a pillowcase to tie one of her ankles to the footboard. She kicked him in the head with her free foot and stunned him for a moment. Miguel took a step back and regained his composure. As Miguel approached her again, Lisa screamed and kicked at him again with her free foot, but Miguel caught her ankle with one arm and with the other, he struck Lisa in the shin hard with the honing steel. Lisa screamed and squirmed in pain as Miguel wrapped another pillowcase around her final free appendage. When he finished tying her ankle, Miguel stepped to the middle of the footboard of the bed. Lisa screamed for help and pulled at her bindings. Miguel held his index finger to his lips and raised the honing steel, threatening to hit Lisa in the shin again. She quieted down but still whimpered in pain. She asked why he was doing this. Miguel told her that the red BMW parked outside had been involved in an accident a few months before, that the accident had been ruled an unsolved hit and run by police, and there were no witnesses close enough to get a verifiable description of the car. He told her that a motorcycle was involved. He told her to confirm everything he was saying was true. She told him she didn't have any idea what he was talking about. Miguel struck Lisa's left foot with the honing steel. Lisa screamed in pain. Miguel then told her that the car had been taken to an auto body shop for repairs, and that those repairs had been paid for out of pocket on a credit card rather than insurance getting involved. He told Lisa again to confirm that everything he was saying was true. Lisa screamed at him, and he was a psychopath, and she didn't have any idea what he was talking about. Miguel struck Lisa's left foot again with the honing steel. A cracking noise could be heard. Lisa again screamed in pain. She looked down at her foot. Her big toe was at a 90 degree angle with the side of her foot and her entire foot was starting to swell. She pleaded with Miguel to stop. Miguel told her that he was the one on the motorcycle that night. That she was the reason he lost his left foot. He told her to admit that she was leaving the Greenhaven Country Club that night, and either drunk or distracted, she had pulled her car out in front of him at the intersection that led into this neighborhood, and then drove away. Lisa told Miguel to go fuck himself. Miguel once again struck Lisa's left foot with the honing steel. Lisa screamed again in agony as her two small toes now pointed the opposite direction of her big toe. Lisa sobbed uncontrollably. Miguel told her that Dr. Thomas Mitchell, his orthopedist, had paid to repair the car after she had maimed him with it. He told her that Dr. Mitchell had also threatened Devon Latham's daughter and had sent Devon to kill him. 
We all told Lisa that was the part he didn't understand yet. Dr. Mitchell's connection to her. Miguel felt his phone vibrate in his pocket. He told Lisa to confirm that everything he was saying was true. Lisa shouted, yes, it was true. She had been driving the red BMW that night. She had left the country club after a monthly members meeting. She had gotten distracted, pulling up to the intersection by a text message. She was returning that text message when her foot slipped off the brake and her car crept forward. She knew that her motorcycle had run into her car. She saw it go down in her mirror. She admitted that she panicked and left the scene and rushed home. But she denied any knowledge about what he had said about Diva. Miguel asked Lisa what her connection to Dr. Mitchell was, and who she was texting that was so important that she altered his life forever with her distraction. A voice spoke from behind Miguel and said, Her husband. Miguel turned to see Dr. Mitchell standing in the doorway and aiming a 38 at him. Dr. Mitchell told Miguel that it was the answer to both questions and that Lisa had kept her last name for professional purposes after they married. Then he suggested that Miguel drop the honing steel. Miguel complied and put his hands in the air. Afterward, he told Dr. Mitchell he now understood why he had covered up the accident, but he still didn't understand why he had blackmailed Yvonne into killing him. Dr. Mitchell told Miguel that he was tying up loose ends. He told him that Lisa was also telling the truth about not knowing anything about Devon. He said that he hadn't told her. He told Miguel that as an orthopedist held in such high prestige, as well as president of the Greenhaven Country Club, he pretty much already ran this town. He went on to explain to Miguel that he planned on making that official, however, by running and securing the office of mayor. He said that in order to ensure no skeletons from his closet ever surface on a campaign, he had a few business matters to take care of. Devon had been an unlucky pawn who unintentionally got himself involved by researching damage to Lisa's car. Dr. Mitchell went on to explain that Miguel complicated things by surviving his plan and visiting Devon. He said that was why Devon had to die. He then told Miguel that everything would have been easier if he'd known that it was him his wife had hit when he performed the amputation. He could have made it look like an accident in the operating room. He said that now he was pissed because he had so much more cleanup to do. Miguel told Dr. Mitchell he had no idea he had gotten himself involved with something so big when he decided to investigate his own case. He said that he couldn't help but wonder how much truth was behind Dr. Mitchell's claims about running this town. He asked if he thought of the country club as his evil headquarters and if he had police in his back pocket as well. Dr. Mitchell told Miguel that it was a pity he'd never find out, to which Miguel replied, I believe I will. Then Lena hit Dr. Mitchell in the back of the head with a fireplace poker. When Dr. Mitchell came to, he was laying face down on the bed next to Lisa in the opposite direction. His feet were bound together and tied to the headboard, and his hands were tied individually to the footboard. He looked up to see Miguel and Lena both standing over him. Miguel had the hunting steel in his hand once again. 
Dr. Mitchell attempted to play the tough guy. He started yelling at Miguel, asking what he was going to do. He dared Miguel to kill him and promised his people would come after him if he did. Miguel told Dr. Mitchell that he was not going to kill him. He was just going to get what he felt was his due justice for what they had done to his life. Miguel took a step closer to Lisa and Lena stepped back into a corner. He asked Lisa to reaffirm that she had been the one driving the red car that night and she cried out that she was and that she was sorry. Miguel looked at her in the eyes and told her she deserved to experience what she had done to him. And then he began a brutal barrage of blows to Lisa's foot with the honing steel. Lisa screamed again in pain as her screams were muffled by the sounds of cracking bone and the thud of bruising flesh. Blood began to spurt from spots and skin where bones began to break surface. Dr. Mitchell yelled at Miguel to stop, but Miguel continued until Lisa's left foot was an unrecognizable mess of flesh, bone, and blood. Finally, after countless strikes, Miguel stopped. Lisa sobbed loudly as the agony of her mangled foot set in. Dr. Mitchell called Miguel every dirty name he could think of before he tried to play tough guy again. He told Miguel that he would just fix his wife better than he had fixed him. And that he had pretty much guaranteed her a promotion news anchor by doing what he had done. Miguel bent down close to Dr. Mitchell's face and told him that he wouldn't be able to fix his wife because it was his turn. He told Dr. Mitchell that it would be difficult to perform any kind of surgery after what he was about to do. Then Miguel began another brutal set of strikes with the honing steel, this time to Dr. Mitchell's bound hands. Strike after strike hit the doctor's hands as Miguel finished taking out all the rage he had bottled up inside on his orthopedist. Dr. Mitchell's knuckles crumbled under the bows, phalanges and metacarpals snapped, and soon the doctor's hands were as unrecognizable as Lisa's left foot. Miguel stopped, and now both Dr. Mitchell and Lisa sobbed in pain. Miguel looked over at Lena and dropped the honing steel on the floor. Lena dropped the fireplace poker and walked over to Miguel and hugged him. The two of them looked over at Lisa and Dr. Mitchell one last time, and then left the house. Miguel and Lena walked calmly back to their cars and got into them. They left the neighborhood, and Lena followed Miguel back to his apartment. When they got there, they went inside, and Miguel looked down at himself. He still had blood on himself from the night's events. He told Lena that he should probably take a shower. She told him that she could also use one. He joked that his shower bench might make things a little awkward, and Lena assured him that they'd figure it out. They both went into the bathroom and closed the door. At the Mitchell's house, he and Lisa were still bound to the bed. Lisa was beginning to look pale from the blood she was losing from her foot. She was only semi-conscious. Dr. Mitchell was struggling in an attempt to free his wrist. Suddenly a voice called out the doctor's name. He attempted to raise his head as best he could and saw a man standing in the doorway. The man was wearing an all-black suit, including a shirt and tie, black leather driving gloves. 
The man began to step closer to Dr. Mitchell, and the doctor asked him why he was there. Lisa stirred and jumped when she noticed the man in the suit. The man stood ominously at the foot of the bed. Lisa asked Dr. Mitchell why the man in the black suit was there. She sounded scared. Dr. Mitchell asked the man again why he was there. The man looked down at the floor and bent down to pick up the honing steel. Lisa began to scream and struggled with her bindings. Dr. Mitchell asked the man what he was doing. The man said to the doctor, I've been sent by the country club, Thomas. They will be electing a new president. Then he raised the honing steel above his head. Dr. Mitchell pleaded for him to stop. The man swung the honing steel down with all his might, hitting Dr. Mitchell in the temple as he attempted to shy away from the blow. Dr. Mitchell's skull shattered and caved in, and his body slumped over. Lisa screamed in terror, and the man turned his gaze to her. She began to plead with him not to do it. The man set the honing steel next to Dr. Mitchell's body and walked over to pick up the fireplace poker. Lisa screamed and pleaded. The man walked over to her and said, My apologies, Miss Contreras. I was always a fan. Then he smiled at her and reached back with the fireplace poker. When Lisa screamed, he shoved the poker into her mouth and through the back of her skull. The poker stuck in the wooden headboard. The man calmly brushed himself off, straightened his suit, and then walked out of the bedroom. The next morning, Miguel woke up, feeling more rested than he had in months. Lena was lying next to him, with her head resting on his chest. He laid there for a few moments, just enjoying things. After a little while, he heard Lena whisper, Good morning. He looked down and she smiled at him. He asked her how she felt, and the two proceeded to chatter idly for a while, neither one mentioning any of the dents of the day before. After a while, Lena said she had to go to the bathroom and got out of bed. Miguel sat up and put on his prosthesis. He went out into the kitchen and set some coffee to brew. He then went into the living room and sat down on the couch and turned on the TV. The morning news was on, and they were doing a weather forecast. Lena came out of the bedroom wearing Miguel's shirt. She walked over and sat next to him. She mentioned that the coffee smelled good, and she leaned in and kissed him. The weather report ended on the news, and the anchor announced breaking news. He said that there had been a home invasion, and that some prominent community members were found dead. Then he sent the broadcast to a correspondent who was on the scene to finish the story. When the broadcast switched to the on-scene journalist, she was standing in front of the Mitchell's house. Miguel and Lena watched in silence. The journalist reported that overnight, a home invasion had taken place in the house behind her. She said that the entire inside of the house had been tossed around, and police suspected items were missing. She went on to say that it appeared the homeowners were there at the time of the invasion, and they had been found dead inside. She reported that the deceased homeowners were renowned orthopedic surgeon and mayoral candidate, Dr. Thomas Mitchell, and his wife, the news team's very own colleague, Lisa Contreras. Miguel and Lena continued to watch in silence. The journalist further reported that the couple had been bound and shot execution style in their own living room. Miguel and Lena turned to each other, shocked and confused. 
The journalist reported that there were no suspects, and the police were attempting to catalog the couple's belongings to find out what may have been taken in the robbery. She said the authorities were reporting that for all intents and purposes, it just seemed like a random home invasion. The journalist sent the broadcast back to the anchor, and he began a story about how the mayoral race would be affected. Lena told Miguel that she was confused. Miguel responded that he was as well. She asked if he thought they were in danger, and he replied, they'd better be ready just in case. He asked her if she was supposed to be at the country club that day, and she replied that she was originally, but that she had called and quit when she was in the bathroom. Lena then reached over and grabbed the remote control and turned off the TV. She set the remote down on the coffee table and crawled onto Miguel's lap. She told him enough news for the day and asked him when he was supposed to return to work. He told her he had a few more days of leave left, to which she replied, good, and kissed him. Miguel let his rage overcome him, and although his thirst for vengeance may have been quenched, what tangled web of corruption have he and his newfound love, Lena, unveiled? And what part may they play in its future? We shall see. Thank you for listening. Support this podcast by clicking the link in the episode description. Support helps me improve production time and quality. Do you have any questions or story suggestions? Leave me a voicemail. Visit my website, IamLosTheArtist.com or find me on Twitter at IamLosTheArtist. Until next time, I'm sorry if I scared you. <laughs>